Let us begin this talk with a Hail Mary. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Well, in this talk, I would like to talk about the institution of Opus Dei, because a lot of people have been asking questions at the St. Josemar Institute, uh, people who listen to the meditations, to the podcasts, and they, they're they actually wanting to know more about Opus Dei and its spirituality and its, its mission. And so today, let us um, talk about all that. Well, Opus Dei was founded by St. Josemaria in 1928, on October 2nd, the Feast of the Guardian Angels, while he was making a retreat. And as he was on retreat, he was in his bedroom between one talk and another, as he says, and he was meditating on some notes he had taken, some inspirations that he had had in his prayer previous to that. And all of a sudden, as he says, he received the illumination of the entire work you know, of Opus Dei. Opus Dei means work of God in Latin. Uh, St. Jose Maria didn't want to found anything. He he did not want to, and if he did found something, uh, he did not want to even give it a name. Uh, when he was starting Opus Dei, he kind of saw that he had to kind of incorporate it just to get the approvals of the church. And so he decided to give it this name, Work of God, you know, um, which means, you know, or Opus Dei, which means Work of God in Latin. And what did he see? That's the question. That's a good question. And hopefully we can uh, paint a few strokes and sketch a little portrait of what Opus Dei is. St. Maria understood Everyone is called to holiness. Everyone. Absolutely everyone. Now, this was, this seems right now like a very uh, normal idea, right? Maybe you have heard of it before. Uh, you have heard of it from the Second Vatican Council because it was promoted by the Second Vatican Council, the universal call to holiness. Everyone, absolutely everyone, without exception, has a vocation to holiness. And... And that's all fine, but in 1928, and I would even say even now, it is not something that is totally understood, or at least all the consequences of the universal call to holiness are not totally understood by everyone who is called to holiness. In 1928, and again even now, a lot of people think that if you want to be holy, that to a first approximation, you need to be a priest or a religious, you know, live consecrated life like a Franciscan or a, or a, a monk or, you know, things like that. You join a religious order or join the priesthood, something like that. To a first approximation, well, it seems, well, if you want to dedicate yourself to being holy and and you look around and you see a lot of holy people doing these things and wearing these robes and and um, hopefully they are holy, you know, priests and religious are holy. And 
you would think that they would be the experts of holiness. And yes, you know, to a first approximation, you go to them and you say, well, I want to be part of your community or I want to be ordained a priest or a deacon uh, because I want what you are actually uh, living out, which is this call, you know, that makes you holy. Now, that is all good. But St. Maria also noted that not everyone, even though everyone is called to holiness, not everyone is called to be a priest. And not everyone is called to be a religious. And why? Because even though all priests are called to holiness and all religions are called to holiness, uh, that doesn't mean that that's the only, those are the only ways to be holy. And in fact, what he wanted to emphasize is that all the laity are also called to holiness, and when he means the laity, he he means everyone in and through the very things that they are already doing. So one of the things Saint Jose Maria realizes is that in order to be holy, you don't need to do something churchy, you know, to put it bluntly. You don't need to work for a parish. You don't need to do some kind of volunteer work. You don't need to change your profession if you're a teacher be a teacher continue being a teacher but do it well you know if you're an engineer be an engineer if you're a ceo continue being a ceo if you're a housewife be a housewife in other words holiness shouldn't be linked to some kind of activity or profession all professions as long as they're honest should lead to holiness if we do them well in the grace of god and that's why we need the sacraments, because sacraments give us grace. And therefore, that's why we also need the priesthood, because if we didn't have the priesthood, we wouldn't have the Eucharist, we wouldn't have confession, we wouldn't have all the means that our Lord left for all of us to continue on our mission to be leaven in society. You know, think of the image of leaven. Leaven transforms the dough right, into bread. And the mission of the laity, well, our Lord said, you know, uh, he compared at some point in the gospel, uh, the mission of all Christians to be leaven in society, to transform it. Now, think of that, that image, right? To be leaven in society means that the leaven has to actually have leavening power. To transform, transformative power, and not be transformed into dough or into something else, you know. Leaven should transform. It's a transforming agent, renewing the world, right? Transforming the dough into bread. And then the leaven and the dough become bread. So we it's all good. It all becomes good at the end because of that that mission that that the that the that Christians have in the world, right? This is this goes for all Christians. This is a universal call to holiness. So the priesthood actually makes sure that the leaven continue being leaven and not lose that leavening power and be overtaken by too much dough, so to speak. But one of the one of the temptations I think of of the lady uh, who want to be holy is well it's twofold one one temptation is to actually be a little compartment within the dough it's kind of like a little box within the dough and because they are afraid that 
the dough is going to overtake them and they're going to lose their leavening power, they say, well, let's all get together and stay very, very pure leaven so that we don't get tainted by anything that's in the dough and lose our leavening power. So they create kind of a bubble inside the dough. You know, that would be ridiculous. That wouldn't, at the end, you're not going to have bread. You're going to have spoiled dough and spoiled leaven, you know, or maybe pure leaven, but you're not going to have bread. And that doesn't work. And that's the temptation of the laity, I think, to actually create a kind of sub-society, a Catholic, an officially Catholic society that is all good and has all these very nice structures, but it lives ultimately parallel to the mainstream society. That has never been the mission of, of Christ. Christ wants to actually transform society, right? And the nice thing about Christianity is that Christianity is not here to establish the the kingdom of God on earth in a way where the Pope and the bishops are the ones that are actually the leaders of the temporal order. No, that's not the way that Christ envisioned it. Unlike other religions, perhaps, you know, where you have revealed law be equal to civil law. And we could see that with Islam, Sharia law, or 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 Jewish law. We can see in the Old Testament how the chosen people were precisely getting all their laws from God, you know, their civil laws reveal as revealed law. Well, Christianity has always actually uh, as Pope Benedict says in his Bundestag address, he basically says that Christianity has never seen revealed law as a substitute for natural law. And that civil law, as long as it is you know, compatible with, with common sense, we could say, with the inner law that is written in our hearts called natural law, the natural moral law, that Christianity respects that, respects that. And therefore, Christians in the world can elevate society that is governed in its own kind of, with its own laws and with its own relative autonomy, right? Because we're not autonomous from God. Everybody is dependent on God somehow. But, but God wants this relative autonomy of the world to have its own structures, its own laws, and not just all be officially Catholic structures or something like that, all run by the church. No, nothing like that. That is that is what St. Maria saw, that this, this is the way Christians should be in the world, as leaven, you know, transforming those, those things, those structures that are good, but they need to be elevated to something divine, not because they're they're officially run by the church, but because of the people who are there, who run them in an honest way, in a just way, in, in a way that serves everybody, you know. Uh, so the temptation of the lady to create a separate parallel society is, I think, a temptation. Now, we know in society we have the religious and the religious leave the world, and that's a good thing too. But not everyone is called to do that. Very few people are called to leave the world the way they do. And 
that's by a special vocation from God. And they are called to leave the world so that they can give us a witness that this world is not the end-all and be-all of all existence, that we actually need their witness so that we, we don't become, you know, worldly. We need to be reminded of that. And we are somehow shocked by the religious in the way they live their their vows of chastity and poverty and obedience. They shock the world. It's kind of a, you know, a wake-up call, which is a good thing. You know, we need that. Um, and they make society better that way with their witness of faith and their witness of 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 the fact that we need to be more spiritual and less worldly. However, they act outside of the leavening process of society. They don't make, they don't, um, they're not in, 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 on Capitol Hill, so to speak. They're not going to film, you know, in Hollywood, make movies in Hollywood. They're not going to be in Wall Street and make money. That's up to the lady, right, to, to then, uh, you know, be there in and, and actually elevate to another level. So, but we need the witness of the religious. But the lady are not called to, or at least not all of the lady, and not the great majority of the lady, are called to leave the world in that way. The religious are. And I, I would think in, in our extended analogy here of the leaven in the dough, that the religious are like the raisins, you know, in the in the bread. They make the bread better. They give it a certain flavor. They give it a certain taste. They, they, they improve it. They have an added value. But they act. They do so. They accomplish their mission by uh, working outside of the leavening process. All right. So, yes, uh, some people are called to do that. But the leaven is called to actually work within the dough and to spread all, all around the dough and to work almost naturally with the dough. There's, you can't even tell the difference. You can't point and say, this is leaven and this is dough. It's just all mixed together. That's the way Christians are in the world. You know, as the early early fathers of the church said, you know, what the soul is to the body, the Christians are to the world, right? Because we enliven it, hopefully. Well, the other temptation that the, the, lay, the, the leaven has, actually, in the dough, is to actually become dough. You know, if one temptation is one extreme, to all be together and all be kind of good and preserve their leavening, um, power all by staying together and not really transforming anything. The other temptation is actually the opposite. It's actually to say, well, you know, I kind of want to be dough. I, I want to be like everybody else. And that's not the mission of the lady to become like everybody else in the world, to become pagan. Lady, the lady are not pagans, right? Lay faithful are lay faithful. They have a priestly mission, we could say, from their baptism and confirmation to be transformative of the world, to transform the world, and to sanctify that, and to offer it up as a sacrifice to God, because they can do that because they're in the state of grace, right? So that's that's the core of what Saint Jose Maria saw as the the essence of the vocation to Opus Dei. If you want to offer up sacrifices to God in your ordinary life, meaning Anything you do in the state of grace, anything, anything good, of course, evil cannot be sanctified, but anything that is, you know, normal, anything that is that is um, uh, ordinary or extraordinary, doesn't matter. Anything that happens in your life, an illness, your work, 
your family duties, your relations in with your friends, your family would even say, well, when you open a window and close a window, well, that's something you got to do because it's stuffy in the room. Well, do it out of love. And if you have what he called kind of the Midas touch because you're in the state of grace, then you turn that action not into gold, but into something holy. Now that's, that is the love of God being made present through you. You're kind of acting like a window for Christ to become incarnate once again into the world. You know, you're bringing Christ, you're making Christ present in the world. Again, that is the vocation that St. Josemaria saw for uh, the members of Opus Dei and for, really for all the laity. But the members of Opus Dei, well, they follow a specific plan of life to keep that mission going. And yes, he had a plan of life for them, uh, for us, I guess, you know, prayer in the morning, half an hour in the morning, mass you know, communion, a visit to the Blessed Sacrament, Holy Rosary, spiritual reading, uh, 15 minutes a day, then prayer in the evening again for half an hour, and then examinations of conscience throughout the day, the Angelus, you know, um, and so on. We could say those are norms of piety that come really from the Christian tradition. There's nothing specific about, uh, uh, nothing specific of Opus Dei in them, but you could say that maybe the the whole collection is specific to Saint Jose Maria. Especially, I would say what he called the always norms. You know, consideration of your divine filiation, of the fact that you're a child of God. You know, presence of God, acts of thanksgiving, acts of atonement. You know, mortifications, um, aspirations, study, work, order, cheerfulness. All these. These he called the always norms because we have to live them all the time. Of course, we can't be saying, you know, aspirations all the time, but we have the desire to say them, you know, or the desire to unite ourselves with our Lord in a spiritual communion, or the the presence of God, which is kind of just there. We feel the presence of God when we're trying to focus on our work and do it for the right intention and 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 offer it to Him as a as part of our mass, you know. So. This collection may be specific to him. And this is the way he saw that, well, members of Opus Dei commit themselves to living this. This is not the only spirituality for the laity, but it's a it's it's one that works for the laity, designed specifically for the laity. And it's not retrofitting a kind of um, religious or priestly vocation for the laity, you know, by making changes and things like that. It's specifically for those people who have this call to who see the, the, the value in offering sacrifices throughout their day to God. That's the essence. That's the, the essence of, of the call to Opus Dei. And with this comes also the what St. Jose may call the overflow of your life within. You know, If you do all these things and you do them with the intention of offering them to God, then you will overflow in acts of, I would say, charity and what he called apostolate, right? That you are an apostle. You're 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 just an, a live ember, you know. You're setting the world on fire. You're setting other souls, other hearts, on fire, and you're, you know, uncovering for them an incredible horizon of holiness. Because they could be every single action, every free action that they do, it can actually be transformed into an act of love of God, if they are, again, in the state of grace. And I would not just say 
like in a binary way. Are you in the state of grace or you're not in the state of grace? It's not about that. It's about well, you could be in the state of grace in great intensity and even more, you know, depending on how much love uh, you 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 put into identifying yourself with with Christ in the Eucharist and how much you let Him act through you. That's what holiness is all about: letting act, letting God act through you uh, in in that way. So, well, just to to recap here, so Opus Dei is this has this message. The universal call to holiness. Everyone who has this um, uh, inclination to actually say, "I want to be in the world. I want to, I want to do my work really well. I want to do it for the right intention. I want to do it with with God in the state of grace. I want to have Jesus. You know, I want him, I want Him to become present here in the world again through me, through my smile, through the way I work, through my ordinary dealings through my family uh, relationships and all that then then I you know I could be an Opus Dei if, if I also live according to the to the spirituality of Opus Dei get spiritual direction you know um, and do apostolate according to to what St. Josemaria saw is the apostolate of ordinary people so let's talk about that for a second now what is the apostolate of ordinary people? Well, he saw the apostolate of ordinary people as an apostolate that takes place in the relationships that they already have, you know, kind of, and the new ones that they already know through their work, through their family, through friendship, you know, all these ordinary things. And he says, you don't have to do something strange or out of the ordinary, out of your place, so to speak, in society in order to evangelize. And what did he mean by that? He said, well... What he meant by strange is actually um, strange to to the laity, you know, and that would be, well, emulating a priest or emulating a religious when you're not, you know, that would be not natural to you. So what does a priest do? Well, a, pre- a priest preaches the word of God. Well, we're not going to get up on a podium and preach, you know, or, you know, maybe uh, you have a, a religious um you know, proclaim a certain message in public. You know, they give public witness. Well, we may not do that either as laity because, well, that would be kind of strange for the laity to get up on on a soapbox in the subway and start, you know, I don't know, reading the Bible or something for everybody in the subway. Maybe some people are called to do that and that's fine. But the laity, he said, or most laity anyway, are called to you know, preach the word of God through their actions and through their words, but in the sphere of the personal dealings with people that they know and they have trust with, right? And that's what gives you kind of the open door to actually talk about anything. Because, you know, if you're sharing who you are with people personally, then you could tell them about the most intimate things that you have, you know? If you're talking about your your, your grandmother and the illness in the, in somebody in a member of your family and about you know your challenges with kids at school or whatever it is you know well then your relationship is one of friendship or at least a good acquaintance well why not tell them about also something that is very important to you which is your faith you know so that relationship is no no longer just strictly business strictly work because they've opened up to you and maybe you invited them over to your house now you have become friends and that friendship actually 
is is a great setting right for christ to become present naturally it's just naturally if you whatever you love is going to become the topic of conversation uh and that's what seems to be called ordinary apostolate and that's where people are going to come to you and ask you for advice and in that advice that's where the holy spirit is present you know so it's kind of the same thing as leaven in the dough where you don't even notice it well that advice is going to be uh you know used as an instrument by the holy spirit to you know plant a seed in that person's soul that maybe they have to change or your example of faithfulness you know to your spouse or to mass on sunday or mass maybe even every day or something like that well you do it naturally and of course they're going to say hmm that's that's interesting you know why tell me more why what what makes you go to mass every day or or um, why do you do that? Why is it important to you? And that's a personal question. And if people ask you that, well, obviously they have enough confidence to ask you. Why not tell them, you know, and give witness in that way? You know, obviously you're not flouting it to the four winds, you know. But yes to them, one-on-one, yes, that'll, that'll make a huge difference, your, your, your witness of faith. That's extraordinary. And that's the, the, the setting, the ordinary setting, I think, for the apostolate of the laity. And that's uh, the vocation to Opus Day. So, one of the things that we have to realize is that this vocation to Opus Day is not, therefore, uh, a vocation to simply. There's a lot of people. The reason why I say this is because a lot of people may think this. Oh, I want to join Opus Day because it's faithful in the liturgy or something like that. It's like, well, I hope we're faithful in the liturgy. You know, and if we're not, please correct us. But uh, that's not what's essential to Opus Dei. That's not what's specific. That's not the specificity of Opus Dei. Right? Well, I really like coming to a recollection run by Opus Dei because you're always orthodox. Well, I hope we're orthodox, and if we're not, please tell us. But, again, hopefully that's specific to everybody in the church. right? Or your faithfulness to, or your loyalty to the Pope. Well, I hope everyone is loyal to the Pope. You know, that's not something that, that is a monopoly of Opus Dei or something like that. And uh, and so people may gravitate towards Opus Dei, think that they may have a vocation to Opus Dei, but they really haven't really discovered what's essential to Opus Dei. And this idea of offering sacrifices through your priestly soul that comes from your baptism, you know, and not leaving your place in the world, but continuing with you know the, whatever position you have in the world and your standing, the standing that you have in the world, and actually sanctifying that and elevating that to another level by doing it well and by doing it for the right intention. That that's the essence. That's the essence, and then being a light to those around you, in in and through your your relations of friendship and trust. That is what's specific to Opus Dei. One of the things that that we have to think of is a big race. Think of Opus Dei as as part of the big race that the church is 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 involved in, right? And yes, inevitably, the the car, you know, the Indy 500 car, has to stop at the pit stop and has to change the wheels, has to gas up, has to get advice from, you know. Uh, some team member as to the strategy or whatever but the race car driver is the laity and the pit stop staff they're not in the race 
in the same way, at least. The one thing that the 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 the, the race car driver cannot do is hang around the pit stop all day long because he's not going to win the race. His place is out in the race, out in the world. But he needs to stop every now and then at the pit stop to get new wheels, gas up, you know, get encouraged by a team member, etc., etc., all that stuff. Well, that's like what you do with the sacraments. You need the sacraments. You need Jesus and the Blessed Sacrament. You need to receive them. You need Mass. You need prayer. You need to stop, you know. You need a retreat. You need confession. You need... Uh, you know, doctrine. You need a class. You need you need to go over the catechism, all that stuff, so that then you can go back into the world and execute that mandate of Christ to be holy and transform the world. That that's where you become holy. I mean, you become holy everywhere. But don't think that it's the activity of of the pit stop, right? That makes you holy. In other words. Not everyone is called to be pit stop staff. Only a few people are, you know. Priests, maybe religious, maybe some people, some lady are called to actually serve, you know, in, in, a, in to work for the archdiocese, like professionally and so on and so forth, or to work at a parish and so on. But, but that's kind of more the exception. The, what really showcases the vocation of the lady is out there in the world, in every kind of profession. And, and that's where, you know, we we become holy through the grace of God, right? And of course, everybody else too who is in the pit stop is also called to win the race, but they win the race providing a, a very particular function. So this is, um, this is the essence, I hope I have explained, the essence of the vocation to holiness and uh, more specifically the, the vocation to Opus Dei, how Opus Dei actually um, does it? Not everyone who is called to holiness, obviously, is called to Opus Dei. Not everybody who's laity is called to Opus Dei. But Opus Dei does offer a spirituality for the laity in a very specific way, with you know all the wherewithal that you need in order to persevere in that call. Again, it's not for everybody, but uh, it is it is an option out there if you feel called to that specific uh, kind of spirituality. And you can read Saint Jose Maria's works. With this outlook in mind, this is what he called the outlook of secularity, right? Secularity, don't get nervous, is not secularism, it's not bad. Secularity is the characteristic that is specific to the lay faithful. And that's um, the, 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 the characteristic that the laity has in order to sanctify all these temporal affairs in the world. Um, by bringing Christ and into the, into that world where bishops, priests, religious really can't get to. And um, if you want to get in touch with Opus Dei, check out the website of Opus Dei, opusdei.org. And you can find information. You can email someone there who will get you in touch with a local center or a, a local uh, a member of Opus Dei who can give you more information about that. But there's a lot, I think, explained in... In, on the website there. We can probably have another, <laughs> many more podcasts on this, especially on this idea of secularity. Uh, and perhaps we will have one if um, people write into the St. Jose Marine Institute and ask for more. But this is just in a nutshell what um, what that vocation is all about. Let us end with uh, Hail Mary. 
and that way we can entrust all the fruits of this talk to Our Lady. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen.